friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. No, not literally. You can keep your ears on your head. What's up, everyone? It's your friend, MC Lars, rapper, educator, cartoonist, and now podcaster. So years ago, I had a show on Sirius XM and... Um, when that kind of when things changed over there, I started doing a podcast between The Graduate and Robot Kills, and um, then I was touring for a while and I stopped. But it's been a long time, and I've always intended on bringing it back. And so I hit up some of my friends, and I was like, "Yo, could I? If I were to bring it back, would I? Would you guys let me interview you?" And so, delightfully, many said yes. So this this first one with MC Front a lot. I did a few months ago. I was trying to stockpile them so I'd have enough to make it a weekly thing. And so you'll hear I've got great guests like, yeah, what's up? Shafer the Dark Lord coming, Brennan from Weedis, John from King Missile, like all these awesome, interesting performers. So we're going to keep it going. We're back in action. And so this week we're talking to MC Frontalot. If you Google Nerdcore, you'll see his big, joyful, smiling face. He and I are going on tour this fall with Shafer the Dark Lord at Megaran, nerdcoretour.com. For tickets and dates, check it out. This is my conversation with the legendary MC Frontalot. For those of you just tuning in, you probably saw from like the description of the file. I'm here with Damien Hess, aka MC Frontalot. That's me, a longtime friend. Um, I was trying to think. We've known each other 13 years, man. Is that right? That's so many years. I met you in November of 2006, so 12, I guess. Nice. And um, we are in his apartment in Brooklyn, New York. We're using his setup. He was kind enough to let me use his mics for this. And we're going to talk about the past, present, future of one MC Front a lot. But more specifically, uh, Damien, how are you doing today? Um, I'm feeling all right. It's uh, my longtime musical collaborator, Gabby Alter, a.k.a. G Minor 7's birthday. Um, and I'm like, what do you want to do for your birthday? He's like, I want you to come to the gym with me. So I went to the gym. <laughs> so I'm feeling good. I got like, you know, my blood sugar's regulated or um, and I don't smell that. I don't smell as bad as one might expect after going to the gym. And I made it to the post office. I'm having like, I'm Most having a real day. adult day. Yeah. <laughs> What is he like a helpful friend at the gym or like some friends are like, like they let you do your own thing or some friends like correct you a lot. What's he, he does like not correct me a lot. Um, he, uh, he likes to work the elliptical machines. We hang out next to each other and chit chat and watch TV on our phones. The main thing that's helpful is to have someone who like expects you to show up at the gym. Cause I, I don't expect that of myself. Right. Then it's just like a commitment. Yeah. That's cool. I've been doing this year. I've been doing this thing called strength training where and I'm sure our Nerdcore fans love this, where I go, where I go, and I've been doing like trying to figure out how to, you know, get like stronger, and like I'm just like learning to lift weights and I stuff. Strength training that was a, a gym class at my high school. Well, I think it's the same teacher teaching it, <laughs> but it's cool because it's easy. It's like 45 minutes, and they do like a few things, and they really make sure you're you're not hurting yourself. And what are some other not Nerdcore things that we can discuss? Uh, have you <laughs> have you watched the recent sports? exhibition the sporting exhibition the match I, i'm trying to think like a super bowl is coming up right i do not know but i think that i think that it is because people are more excited i'm not able to follow what's going on in football but i am able to sort of gauge the general excitement of the american public surrounding the issue of football 
over the course of the year. Because so, there's like a whole section of the year where nobody mentions football right. at all, right? Right. Because right. I think they're not playing then. And then there's like people get kind of excited when it's about to start. I hear I hear them talking about that. I couldn't tell you what time of year that happens, but I notice it when it's going on. There's it also like uh, the ads for alcohol will feature more mm. men in football helmets, right? And wearing football protective. <laughs> Costuming, and then during, and then it becomes boring again for a while. Apparently, to the people who observe it, and then a little like that ramps up slowly to a point where the, everyone's excited because I guess each game that happens now is con- very consequential because like teams are being eliminated and stuff like that. Yeah, like I always imagine football is like a winter sport, and baseball is kind of like a summer spring sport. I do have that image in my in my memory of like football men trying to. Um, dominate each other with a thin dusting of snow upon the grass. And um, also basketball is like in the fall, I think. Because I always remember when going back to school in the fall, everyone was excited about basketball. Sure. But people are going to be tweeting us and correcting us. It feels to me as though basketball is always happening. Is the like professional and college basketball seasons, are they offset from each other so that there's just basketball all the fucking time? Yeah, because I think of you know March Madness they talk about, and that's a basketball that term. Yep. And so that's that's not the fall, obviously. All right, what what else is not nerdcore that we could discuss? Um, beauty tips. <laughs> How's well, it? Your skin looks great, Lars. What's your regimen? I've just been going to the gym with Gabby. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, I I really feel like um, this year for me, one of the things in the past has been relentless touring all the time. Yeah. And now it's like more about being home, taking care of myself, like being healthy, working on music, and. Um, you know, being on the road, as you know, we've been on the road together so much. It's very easy to eat horribly and like party super hard. You've been healthy as fuck lately, Lars. Because you don't, because you stopped taking all the like inebriifiers. Uh, yeah, I stopped doing crack. Stopped. stopped it, you stopped your like crack, LSD, and opiate and uh, synthetic opiate. But you know what really helped me was the, stopping PCP, stopping that. All of those have had a positive impact on your health. I think. Do you think I, I've become a better friend, or like, or is it hard? Is now you're the same. You're the same <laughs> wonderful friend as you've always been. Can we do a high five? Yo, that was a high five. That was. Um, well, our, the thing about like I found doing, I've been doing this so long. There are a few special people who stick out. And you know this, who you work with, who like, there are friends who you who meet in the music industry, and then there's people you work with. And there's just something about like, our friendship, I feel like, for me, it's one of those most special ones in my life, because I've always looked up to you as a mentor, and I've always looked up to you as like a friend and a big brother, but also how the way you do things meticulously and with a lot of integrity and a lot of passion and focus always has driven driven me to be my best, especially as a rapper. And I think it's like, you don't get many of those people in your life who have such an impact. So I just wanted to say on the record, I appreciate you, even though sometimes I'm like sarcastic and stuff. I love you, buddy. Well, thanks, Lars. <laughs> of course, I love you too. And I'm endlessly inspired by your uh, energy and passion, which are always on display. Thanks, man. We had a great tour last year, didn't we? That was great. Yeah, that little run. We did nine shows in a row down the East Coast. How, what was fantastic about that tour was we booked it, we announced it, and it was we didn't have to hire like a publicist or a radio promoter. It was just like the internet showed up with Mega Ran, you, Schaefer, and me, and it was yeah. so so well attended. I think that was got to be like largely your and Rahim's um, to the credit of you and Rahim because you guys have been on the road a lot the last few years, and you are keeping everybody heads up, <laughs> interested, aware. 
and engaged. Um, whereas I have been sitting on my butt continually telling myself that I'm going to finish my record about how the internet sucks and then go on the road with it and just perpetually not accomplishing that. Well, can we talk? Well, can we talk about that for a minute? The like, like, because I remember on the tour. So boring. Everybody's podcast is the same. Hello, artist. What's your big struggle? Oh, let's see. Depression. <laughs> I think I will very vulnerably bear my soul about how I've been too depressed to get a lot of work done lately. Oh yeah, this is very brave of us both. We're discussing mental health. <laughs> oh yeah, it sure is. High five. That's everybody's podcast. It's boring as shit. Yeah, but I was. I wanted to talk to you about like creative ways you've been do, doing to motivate yourself. Like I remember on the last tour, you had this uh, high-priced merch item that had yeah. a preview of the record. Sure. And, and that, that's a motivator. And that got me off my ass for exactly like the nine to 11 days of panicking that I did be- right before <laughs> we had to leave. Yeah. Um, and in fact, and I've always known this about myself, the only thing that makes me do anything is a hard deadline. And my first five records came out like bang, bang, bang every 18 months because I would be like, oh, like, shit, it's been nine, 10, 11 months since my record came out. What am I doing? When's my next record coming out? Fuck. Well, I'd better like, I should get it done like, you know, four months from now, five, five months from now. Like, that's plenty of time. I've, you know, I've got the seeds of it already. So like, that'll be great. And then if I'm going to do that, I need to like go on the road like the second it's done. So I'll like, I'll schedule that and I'll hire the publicist and get on their calendar mm. and I'll get the booking agent working on that. And I'll talk to the people at the CD manufacturing and I'll lock that into their production schedule. And then all of a sudden I've got like a bunch of hard deadlines with money right. and resources committed to them. And I slack off for another couple of months and then I'm like, Oh shit, I have three and a half months to get five months of work done on you this record. The out, that songs haven't even been written? I was, yeah, there will be like <laughs> songs that aren't written all the way and yeah. like just tons of other shit that needs doing. And I'll be like, fuck. And then I'll you know pop into panic mode, which is fantastic for me for getting work done. And I will do 16-hour days for with zero days off for three months um, and finish my record just barely on the, on the you know, verge of collapse wishing desperately that I had two more weeks to finish the details and I will take it to the mastering. Another thing you have to schedule well ahead of time and send it off. Oh, like, you know, f- overnight it to manufacturing yeah. from the mastering appointment. I'll walk the fucking master over to the place and what, well, not anymore. You can deliver those yeah. electronically these days, but I've done that. I did that a few times. And after the fifth record, I was like, Oh, this is the same every time. Fuck this. This sucks. I'm always, I'm like a shell of a man at the end of this process. It's stupid as hell. Why am I doing this to myself? I know what I'll do. I'll get my record like halfway done and then I'll do all those deadlines. So instead of having like 85, 90% of the work to do and like two months less than I need to do it, I will have half of the work to do and just the right amount of time to do it at a, a kind of a nice leisurely pace. Yeah. And but then the problem with that is um is you can get your record 32% done and then never be 50% done and never make the hard deadlines and ne- and just be stuck forever. Well, and you're in a position where you have such a strong back catalog that it's like hip hop is such, you've said this to me, it's such a young culture. It's such a, it's such a in the moment culture that like 
you're comparing yourself. At least I have this problem. I compare myself to my past records, which I'm really proud of. And I'm always like, if I do something and it doesn't get a big social media reaction or, you know what I mean? If I don't really mm. know what's happening with pop culture, it's hard. You get off like the, the hamster wheel that you fall off. It's hard to <laughs> jump back in. That's true. But I don't know if you had that problem as much because you've always done I've your own. I've always avoided, I've always done everything I can to avoid that part of popular music um, because it terrifies me. I don't think I could succeed within that competition of being hip. I mean, that's sort of the whole reason I branded this shit as nerdcore in the first place was to like be like, well, if I can't be hip, then what if I asserted the very opposite? <laughs> what if I was like, listen, you fucks, none of this is ever going to be trendy. None of this, none of this will ever be hitting the hot moment of now. And no. therefore it'll never be dated and you can pick it up. And, and like, I'm never going to have production styles that are like this summer's jams. <laughs> You can listen to like New York is a fantastic radio market, and you can listen yeah. to new hip hop all day, every day on three different radio stations, and they all have huge listenerships, and they're like popular and meaningful, and like in terms of the industry, they're like you know it matters if yeah. you're like on Hot ninety seven, right? So like, there are trends every few months in hip hop production. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's that fucking terrible Fruity Loops sound that all the SoundCloud rappers have because all of a sudden the industry thinks those guys are going to make the money, which is great. I hope they're right. But like, it's like a kind of a low moment for hip hop production, I think at the moment. Um, not everything. I mean like that Jay-Z record sounded great. Um, it's a lot the of Kendrick record sounded great. There are a lot of rec- records that I thought sounded good came out last year, um, but they were from big artists on big labels. But like yeah. the thing that's trendy right now is this sort of garbagey sounding little canned beats that somebody made in their bedroom, which is fine because I have kind of loved the home recording aesthetic forever. Yeah, but I do not like hearing that stuff on the radio. <laughs> well, something that's been kind of different about us is like that I've really, and especially as of recently, really like learn from you is how you turn your whole closet into a, like a sick recording booth, how you engineer your own vocal sessions, how you've been able to like produce and you have this insane work ethic that like when you're, when you're on it, it's just really cool. Cause you, your overhead is relatively low. You're not booking studio time. Like you're, you, you book studio time for your music. Right. But like the- I, only for drums for my, for real drums, I will get an engineer with a real studio. Cause I don't, I don't have a way to approximate like the sound of a good drum room. Yeah. Um, but I did manage to cobble together with my front of house dude and music and, and a live sound engineer man, Nick Binary, um, with his help. I built a, a real nice sounding, I think, dead little vocal closet in my apartment here. Um, so I have unlimited time to just like try and get shit right without being on anybody else's clock. Which I guess can be helpful, but also like if you have... If you're giving yourself unlimited time, it can be. It, that's. It sounds like that's been. Yeah, it's it's all adds to the pitfall. If I don't, yeah. if I haven't given myself a hard deadline, then everything just fucking sucks. So, um, what do you like? What do you do to? Do you try to like put part of your day every day to do something, or you kind of just wait till inspiration strikes? Well, I keep a list of stuff on my desk that needs to get done. Um. You know, like I got to send an invoice for some expenses to a convention. I got to like, I got to call up my optometrist and tell him my glasses don't work and see if they'll give me some 
better glasses. You know, it's just like a bunch of shit I got to do in my life, right? Yeah. To like move forward day to day. It's all stuff that has to happen. Right. And the thing that's not on that list, which is like the main thing that needs to happen is finish the record, right? So like every day it's like, okay, how much am I going to get done on this record today? Is it going to be nothing like yesterday? Is it going to be nothing like the last five days? No, today I'm going to like deal with it somehow. I'm going to try, I'll change it up a little. I'll have seven coffees and a, a partially cooked egg. And that's going to get me all like hyped up. And I, I won't take a, sh- I won't even take a shower. I'm going to jump right into it. Yeah. I'll, uh, uh, I'll eat my vitamins before I drink a glass of water. I'll make my day different. Somehow I'm going to work today. And then I sit down and then I'm like, oh boy, I really need like seven more Korok seeds on Breath of the Wild if I want to like <laughs> ha- carry around as many shields as I want. Um, I'll just do that for 20 minutes and then I'll deal with two things off of this like vital shit that's time sensitive list. And then I'll have spend the whole afternoon on the record. What I'm saying, Andrew, is every yeah. day is a series of weird lies that I tell myself. Right, right. <laughs> but today I went to the gym and the post office. And today you made time for me to come talk to you about, about your creative process. That counts. I love having other people's time-sensitive shit that I need to schedule. Because I can always drop everything and do that. Like, oh, oh of course. Because <laughs> well, I'm in charge of my schedule. So, you know. I, I think I do what I want. It's, it's also, it comes to, a, it's like, I had this experience, especially on my last album, the zombie dinosaur LP. It was just like, I had a Kickstarter I did on Kickstarter, but it was like, I really wanted to give my backers the best thing possible. Sure. And I record, ended up recording like tons more stuff than could go on it so that I could filter the, my, yeah, my favorite yeah. songs. That's a good method. And I think that's a good method if you have the time, but like, yeah, I think that like weird Al said, his method is he'll just do 11 songs that he gets the ideas and then just yeah. does it. I do that too. I've never cut a song from a record. Looking yeah. back, there's a couple I should have, I think. Um, but I haven't. And I don't, I don't think that's better. Um, I wish that I had five songs too many, every record, and I could just pick the best 75% of the material, and that would be the record. And it's not like I would have to throw those other ones in the dustbin. I could put out a like a B-sides you know, just for Patreon or something someday or whatever. Right. Like it's not, it's not like a waste of time or effort to do that. It's just a way to make your records better. And for some reason I can't work like that. Like I can't pour my heart into something unless I know it's parts, you know, it all ties back to the hard deadline thing. It's like, if this is not something that's due for this record, then like, why would I be working on it at all? Right. You said something years ago, probably 10 years ago, that stuck with me. We were talking in the van with Whitey Cracker about the, the purpose of art and why we make art. And, I, and you said something that's always stuck with me. You're like, we do it because you believe in it, like you have faith in something that's bigger than you, better than you, has the ability to inspire people and like make the world better. And I remember Bryce was like, nah, I just do this for the money. I just do this for the, so I can party and, and get messed up. And, you, and, you, and I was like, this is a, and when you said that, I'm like, this is a man who has faith in something bigger than him that, that it's not just like it's not just entertainment. It's something deeper. It's like, and that's what I've come to love and, and admire about your take on rap is that it's your life, and with this crazy center, crazy moment we live in, we can all be connected with the people who also share a similar life, and we can like experience and relate to it 
in a, in a really surprising, awesome way. You know what I mean? And so it's like, there's this agency and this, and this pressure, then I definitely empathize with you to, to, to use the alchemy of what you've done before in a new, in a new way. But it's always like, I don't know, man, it's, it's not an easy thing, but isn't it feel great when you write like the perfect couplet or come with a great hook? Finishing anything feels fantastic. Um, And you know, like really finishing the whole thing, like getting all the art and the design done and like QA on the manufacturing and like all that shit. And you've got this like big box of the thing. Then right. it's like, you're like, I made it. I made it. I made this thing. Like, I'm old man now, and I didn't have any kids yet. And I don't know if I'll succeed in having any kids, but, like, I have finished six of these albums, these projects. Um, Without ever having a record label or anything, no. huh? And, yeah. like, people have responded to all of them, and they've, like, you know, they're out there in the world. I don't remember, by the way, saying anything that lofty about art and our purpose, but I'm, I guess I'm glad I did, and then it stuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> if that was helpful in some way it was, uh, to think of it. We were, I think we were driving um, like from Portland to San Francisco and it was really late at night. And, and, and it was like, we were talking about why the heck do we do this? Cause it was such a long drive. Oh, mm, yeah. Right. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. Do you agree with that statement still? Yeah. I, 10 years later, here's, here's something I think I've learned over the years is like, there's no reason to look down on anything for being, just entertainment like entertaining people particularly in like the dark age we are currently inhabiting is a like a service you can do to everybody's soul and i think art in a way has always been merely that Uh has always been something that kind of services everybody's soul and that might be because like it's a cbs sitcom with a laugh track where some people are making fart noises like (laughs) Maybe that's what some people need to like not fucking put an electrical cord over the over the like coat rack and hang themselves. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like maybe that's the art that they need and it is doing a service that is genuinely profound even if the art is like not up my alley and not something I would ever label profound from my perspective. Um the service that it renders might be super meaningful. So Maybe maybe whatever lofty thing I said about our purpose back in that van has been tempered a little bit, and I maybe I've even struggled to be less snobby about shit over the years. But I think mostly I've just sort of appreciated the full range of things that our popular culture, culture creates, and like how they are valuable to different people in different ways, and that the things that are valuable in ways that I don't appreciate are not valueless. And to me, that is always what's been so fascinating about hip-hop as a culture. It's that dichotomy between mass culture and art where it's like it's not necessarily a binary thing, right? Because you have, like you mentioned earlier, Kendrick's record and Jay-Z's record. You have these... These, you have this, you could say, important, socially conscious, I'm doing air quotes, like <laughs> like, like pitchfork hit records. But then you have like the things that get a million Instagram followers that right. maybe aren't as, it's like, it's, it, it's not as intellectual, but those serve a purpose too. And I think now in this culture we live in, it's just that the way, the way hip hop has evolved and changed and grown and entered into our smartphones and everything, it's like, it's very, it's that, the, the whole the whole exercise of it existing is, is like has artistic value. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's so it's very like arbitrary. What meaning we, we ascribe to it.
Okay, this ends part one of my interview with MC Front a lot. Tune in next week for part two. In the meantime, you can support me on patreon.com slash MCLars for new music. We're going on tour this fall, nerdcoretour.com for tickets. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you to my guest, MC Frontalot, for part one of this interview. I wanted to end with a song he and I did with Jonathan Colton on my This Gigantic Robot Kills album. This is OG Original Gamer. Thanks, everyone. OG Original Gamer Sad ass of a stranger Of the video arcade Orphan baby in a basket Seven pounds is all I weighed And before I learned to walk Well I master Donkey Kong Cuber final fight Master blaster and pong Blindfolded Okay yeah I know it sounds adorable Dollar signs and pop signs Grew creepy and deplorable He said Play by the noises Follow the ding boy oh, Can I walk the dog And do my homework First collect coins Kid didn't I find you With a controller in hand Now body you gotta go And bring shame to your old man Same to your old fans You were a child prodigy Up on the milk crate Of the cabinet Baking cottage cheese Out of an embutted Put a quarter on screen My pride in you extended like the limbs of Dalsim, all green Money motives must have backseat tape Put the textbooks down, trying to make it great From my crib to the stroller While dad beat me senses with the NES controller Kid, listen, I promise it's for your own good Wits that you're shown should you level up, it's understood I haven't been out since 98, the Sega Saturn I've been learning tenant combos and the speed run patterns More play, less chatter, you're a champion kid Under the mattress there had better be some cartridges hid Up, down, left, right, B.A. Mass Gary Clockwork Orange meets Ray Bradbury It's unnecessary to struggle, you're fated to win Until you beat Bowser, you stay strapped in I wanna live a fun life, I've only seen this in twice I want real friends, dad and ten dogs won't suffice Why did you ask for nothing when the world could be yours? Flesh and blood funds fleet and seek eternal high scores Playing Doom. Three can't you see I need to go and play yo real sports like baseball. I'm sick of Halo. Then you're sick of the meaning of life at your age. Better try a little hard and want to clear that stage and step into the middle of existence. Examine. Do it to your ground and make your playback gamut. Here's a list of things that I'd rather do. Then sit home playing Super Smash Brothers with you. Eat peas, do the dishes, walk the dog, mow the lawn. Take your Wii and shove it, pops some off. Yo, I'm gone. Peace. Don't joust with me, kid. I'll go berserk. After all of your talent, all of my hard work, all the winnings that you earned. Celebrity too, you wanna put us on the streets like the TV movies do. 